This episode of the unofficial QuickBooks Accountants Podcast is sponsored by LiveFlow. Did you hear the news? LiveFlow just launched a new consolidation product. LiveFlow power user Beth Melcher of MoneyFit said that LiveFlow's consolidation is saving her team 15 to 20 minutes per client every week and eliminates the use of formulas. LiveFlow's automated multi-entity consolidation is simple to use. You can easily map multiple unmatching charts of accounts from multiple QuickBooks Online companies into one standardized report. And once it's set up, LiveFlow works its magic, updating the consolidations automatically in real time. So you can focus on analysis using instantly updated data across entities. LiveFlow can even consolidate financials that are in different currencies. And the possibilities don't stop there. LiveFlow empowers you with flexible, powerful reporting tools to create customized dashboards that meet your specific needs, build executive presentations, cash flow forecasts, and more with just a few clicks. To stop grueling over manual consolidation reports and to get 25% off your first three months, be one of the first 10 listeners to head over to uq.promo forward slash LiveFlow. That is uqb.promo forward slash L-I-V-E-F-L-O-W. Welcome to the unofficial QuickBooks Accountants Podcast. I am joined by my good friend, Alicia Katz-Pollock, the original, the one and only QBO Rockstar, CEO and founder of Royal Y Solutions. And I have the privilege of collaborating with Hector Garcia, CPA, the founder of Right Tool for QuickBooks. And on this episode of the unofficial QuickBooks Accountants Podcast, we're going to talk about listener mail. We got a couple of emails from our listeners, which we love to get, and we're going to break down those answers. We're going to start with the first listener mail, which says, Dear Hector and Alicia, love the podcast. I have a question. Not sure if you plan to cover it. Well, now we are. (laughs) And the question is, what's the idea behind this revenue recognition feature inside QuickBooks Online Advanced? Thank you, Elizabeth. So I actually know that Alicia uses revenue recognition with Mm -hmm. her company file all the time. So let me ask you up front, how do you use revenue recognition, Alicia? I'm using revenue recognition for my subscriptions, for my subscribers that I have uh, three different levels of subscription for people who want to take all of my courses, but then they pay annually. And what that does is it gives me these giant lump sums all in one month when I would like to see how much money I'm making per subscriber throughout the year. And so I was really happy when they introduced this feature because especially for subscription-based services, it's really a game changer. There are some technical uh, definitions that I would love to go through. You know, as a CPA, it's like, it's <laughs> like I feel like I have to talk about this stuff. <laughs> yeah, having so, the context for this is pretty important before we go into the nuts and bolts. Exactly. So in accounting, there, there's these things called the accounting principles. And they're, they're, the guiding, they're the guiding principles, for lack of a better term, to allow an accountant make a decision in terms of how does a particular transaction get recorded in the books? There, are, there is a principle called the matching principle, which is best known as for expenses. So when you have a cash outlay, you make an expenditure, you pay for something, is to make sure that if you paid for that service or product and it's used and consumed during the particular period in which you received revenue sort of matching that expense, 
then you recognize it during that same period. But if you prepay for something, you're not supposed to record that as an expense. You're supposed to record that as an asset, as a future investment that later on is going to turn into an expense when it matches the revenue. That's the matching principle. Most accounting professionals know that pretty well. The revenue recognition principle is sort of the same, but for the sales side. Revenue gets recognized when it's earned and not when cash is received. So these two things, the matching principle for expenses and the revenue recognition for sales, these two things are sort of 90% of the accrual accounting principle. Now, what does earned mean? Now, there's tons of ways we can go uh, in terms of describing what earned means, but I think the easiest way to explain it is you received money and you're liable for providing a service. If you don't provide that service, you can refund that money or you can be sued and, and the customer can get the money back. That means that the company cannot take ownership of that money. You're basically holding it. You have custody of it temporarily until you as a company have recognized that you have performed the service or um, delivered the product. Right. Right. What do you think, right. Alicia? Yeah, it's kind of like if somebody pays you a deposit, you haven't earned it yet. So you have to hold it as a liability until you've actually provided the service or done the work. So that way, if maybe the job gets canceled, you give them the money back. So it's not a liability. It's a liability. It's not revenue until you actually do the thing that's getting paid for. Now, like exactly. Hector said, this is accrual based that if you're cash based, oh, you take the money when you get the money and you think about it as maybe a prepayment or a retainer to hold the holds the um, spot on the schedule for the services. In that case, it would go straight to income. But in construction in particular, you know, we're looking at works in progress. And so it's important that your customer deposits really are held as liabilities and temporarily. Yeah. And so, some people, some people say stuff like, well, Hector, does it really matter? Because if you receive a bunch of money in December for next year's, uh, services, the IRS is going to want you to recognize that as income anyway. So, you know, why would you want to defer that income? You know, if the IRS is going to want you to uh, pay taxes on that income immediately. Well, the, the reality is not necessarily. And this is why there is a cash basis type of tax filing and a accrual basis type of tax filing, because you're supposed to have a consistent, you're supposed to make a change every year, supposed to be consistent. And as your business grows and your business moves year over year, you're supposed to have a, cons a consistent treatment of this. But without like even like worrying about tax for a second, think about if you're going to sell your business, right? If I call my customers and say, hey, prepay next year's services all in advance in December, and I'll give you a huge discount, 50%. And then I show my financial statement for last year, and I use that to try to sell my business for a higher price, I would be technically committing fraud or I would be you know, overstating my income on purposes. I, I would be gaming the system. So the purpose of accountants and auditors and, and, and accounting principles is to make sure that you go across business, businesses and regardless of what the personal preference of the owner is or whatever happens to be, that you actually recognize your income when you've earned it so you can have fair financial statements and a fair valuation of your business. Mm -hmm. Now, you talked about the subscription business uh, that, that you have, Alicia. What other industries uh, you, you've, you've found that use uh, this, uh, this system? 
Well, the whole idea with like customer deposits, you're going to find those in contracting. You're going to find those as retainers for law firms. Um, anytime that you're doing prepayments. And so that's where the, the, the bigger concept comes in. But this specific tool for um, this, this deferred revenue and for revenue recognition really falls into place for subscription-based models because with the other ones, it's determined by when you do the work. This revenue recognition tool is an automation. So you set it, you forget it. And so it has to happen with periodic recognition, not based on actual service dates. Exactly. So we're going to talk about the revenue recognition feature in QuickBooks Online Advanced. But if you don't have QuickBooks Online Advanced, I like to, and you have to, you have to imagine QuickBooks in front of you. I want to walk you through the entire process on how you would set this up. Let's say, for example, with a consulting firm or a law firm. Okay. Let's just think about that for a second. So a law firm, we'll talk about, we'll start with a law firm. So a law firm that takes in a retainer, and then one month works two hours, another work month works four four hours, another month works six hours. They're going to manually recognize those two, those four, those six hours in the month or the week or whatever happens to be that they perform the work. And they're going to make an entry in that, in that particular event in order to move the money from the liability into revenue. Okay. In a different type of business, let's say you have a consulting business where you don't charge by the hour, you just charge a flat fee for all sorts of sort of advisory. And then you charge an annual, let's say you charge $10,000 annually for unlimited advisory for the whole year. And you charge all that stuff in January or in December. Well, you don't have to manually create an invoice every single month to recognize a 12th of that every month, right? You don't need to because... Essentially, you know exactly how much to recognize every month because it's all based on this prepayment for a whole year for 12 months. And you can create a journal entry every single month manually, or you can create a single journal entry and set it up for it to be a recurring journal entry. And you can essentially automate this process. Now, if you don't have QuickBooks Online Advanced and you have Simple Start or Essentials or Plus, this is how, this is how it will work. Step one, you're going to go into your balance sheet and you're going to create an other current liability you can call it customer deposits. You can call it retainers. You can call it customer prepayments. You can call it deferred revenue. All of these terminologies should be understood by most accountants. But the key thing, it needs to be a other current liability. So that's step number one. Step number two, we're going to make the assumption that you're going to use the invoicing system inside QuickBooks Online to get a payment, okay? So you're gonna send an invoice to a customer for that entire you know, year's worth of services or for that retainer or whatever happens to be, whether you're you know, this flat fee consultant or if you're attorney, you're gonna send an invoice saying, hey, send me this $5,000, this $10,000 as a retainer, as a customer deposit. And in order to do that, you're gonna have to create an item, a product or a service, specifically, it needs to be, I recommend, we recommend it needs to be a service. Right? An inventory item wouldn't work. A non-inventory item would be confusing. So create a service item inside QuickBooks Online. Call the service item customer prepayment or annual payment or something like that. And then point it or map it to this other current liability account. Then you create the invoice to the customer for whatever dollar amount it is. You receive the payment. The minute you, you create that invoice in QuickBooks, it's going to now going to debit your liability account, debit your customer deposit, your deferred revenue account, and it's going to credit uh, your accounts receivable 
or your bank when you get paid. Okay, perfect. Now that's sitting there on the balance sheet. Then if you're going to use like a lawyer where in a particular month, you're going to charge two hours against a liability account, you go create a different item to recognize your revenue. So it could be called hourly fees or whatever. And that service item is going to be pointed or mapping to a revenue account, to an income account like you normally would. And then inside that same invoice, you can have two, two mechanisms you can go. Inside the same invoice, you can use the same customer deposit item as a negative and zero out the, the invoice. That's one way of doing it. That way you create an invoice with zero dollar amount. It shows up in the it shows up in the in the statement as a zero dollar amount invoice. If you send it as a zero dollar amount invoice, depending on how your customer understands or interacts with those documents, with those invoices, uh, they may understand that or not. So you have to be very careful about the presentation of this to make sure you don't confuse your customer. You told me, Alicia, that there's an alternative way of doing this with credit memos. Like what would be the way you would do it with a credit memo? Yeah, you could also give somebody a credit memo for that deposit and then apply it at, to the invoice as an initial payment. So that's a, a second way of really doing the same thing. Um, but you would use a particular item in that credit memo, right? The same item, that item. same customer deposits that points to the liability, which just basically takes the money back out of the liability. The difference with the two methods, if you're doing the subtraction method, then you have a $0 invoice and you don't see how much the service was for the month. If you do it with the credit memo, you see the actual invoice for the monthly portion of the payment and it shows as an invoice that the money was received on all your reports and in the, cust in the customer list everywhere. And then the credit memo just acts as a payment. Right. And to be clear, with both methods, they would show up exactly in the profit and loss. Uh, this is more about how it shows up in a, maybe in a customer detail transaction report or in a customer statement or in your customer center. This is more like presentation about being able to look at the history of it. Yeah, mostly it depends on whether you want to see the amount of the invoice or not. If you did want to see the amount of the invoice, like you were about to say on the statement or on a transaction history list, then do the credit method credit memo method. If having a $0 invoice is not an issue, then the subtraction method is simpler, saves us time. And there's a third, there's a third method for this, which I'm not the biggest, biggest fan of, but it works just fine, is you would create a journal entry where you reduce that liability, you, you debit that liability uh, by whatever dollar amount you're consuming on that invoice, and then you uh, increase, sorry, you decrease by crediting your accounts receivable. Uh, make, making sure that you use that, that customer or project in that journal entry under customer project, make sure you put that information in there. You create that journal entry, it, it will create the same effect as, as that negative item on the invoice or a credit memo, but then you have to go into the invoice manually and then you have to apply that journal entry into the invoice, which is a part that most people forget to do. Yeah, I was going to say that that leads to PEBCAC um, problem exists between chair and keyboard. It's a pro common problem I see because people will see that their customer has no AR. It'll show zero AR, but it will show that they have open invoices. So that's right. the, the drawback on and the list I, until you make that last step of applying the payment. Right. And, and as much as we dislike that method, that's actually the method that QuickBooks uses uh, with the revenue recognition with the journal entry. The difference is it doesn't require you to go apply it. It does the application automatically and it also locks the transaction in and it disallows you from sort of fudging with that connection, which is sort of the key thing. 
This episode of the unofficial QuickBooks Accountants Podcast is sponsored by Timesheets.com. You already know what Timesheets.com does, but today I'd like to talk about what Timesheets.com doesn't do, because sometimes that's just as important. For instance, Timesheets.com doesn't charge a base fee and only costs $5.50 per user, certainly not $8 or more. Also, Timesheets.com will never market to your clients because they respect that private relationship. And Timesheets.com doesn't answer your support calls with an automated phone system, nor will they transfer you from person to person while you're pulling out your hair trying to close payroll on time. Those are just a few important things that Timesheets.com doesn't do. And right now, they are offering the unofficial QuickBooks Accountants podcast listeners two full years commission for each new client you refer, or two free months of service, your choice. Head over to uqb.promo slash timesheets. That is uqb.promo forward slash T-I-M-E-S-H-E-E-T-S. So now that we understand that entire process, I do want to add one little caveat to that, which is because you're running everything through a liability account and QuickBooks doesn't have like a monitoring system to take a look at the value of that account and or how much of the specific amounts belong to a particular customer or job, there's no mechanism to warn you if the funds in that liability account have run out. Like you literally have to open up that report first so you have to go into your balance sheet, double click on that in the customer deposits liability account, group it by customer, take a look at the subtotal for each customer. And if that customer ha or, or project happens to have credit or, or available balance in there, then you can uh, use it. But there's no system that will prevent you from essentially bringing that, that balance to negative or that specific customer balance to negative in the liability account. Alicia, have you running into that? Uh, I actually have a little hint to add to what you just described, you know, drilling into the balance sheet uh, in that um, category and sorting it by name. But here's something else you can do. And I teach this in my projects class. I actually demonstrate how to do it. When you finish using up somebody's retainer or deposit, go in and reconcile the account to zero and match all of their individual payments with their lump sum payment and mark them as reconciled, which tells the system that they're complete. Then in that report you just described, add another filter to make sure that it's filtered for unreconciled. And then you only see people who have current activity and it doesn't include anybody whose deposits have been used. Now, good thing you brought that up. I have a, a kind of a theoretical question here for you mm -hmm. is, would you do that if you create every sub-account under the other current liability for every single customer or project? Would you still do that? Or would you only do that when you use a parent sort of liability account for all customer projects. Yeah, I because I've have this method of doing it, I don't make separate liabilities for each project, although I can see in some circumstances where it would be nice to be able to see it client by client or project by project, but that's not my favorite way of running a balance sheet. So that's why I have just one customer deposits liability account and then I filter it or no, I'm sorry, I group it by the customer name. And then I filter it by non-reconciled so I can only, so that gives me a list of only open deposits and I can see them all in one category. 
Yeah, because otherwise that list gets really, really, really big, wrong. really, really fast. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, so now let's talk about QuickBooks Online Advance and the revenue recognition feature inside QuickBooks Online Advance. Walk us through, Alicia, how that works, what it does, what it doesn't do. And at the end, maybe we'll chat about like what type of you know clients we recommend that for. Mm-hmm. Sure. So I've been using the revenue recognition feature. I'm actually cash-based, but since we do have a subscription model, I implemented it. And, you know, it gives me a chance to get my hands dirty with trying it out. So the the feature has been released. I personally still consider it in beta because they're still building out some of the features about it. But basically what you do is you create a, a service item. It has to be a service. It can't be non-inventory or inventory, only services. And then down at the bottom of the product, there's a section for revenue recognition. So you put a check mark in it that says, I recognize revenue for this product. And then you have a choice of whether it's going to be monthly or uh, now I believe that they are changing the frequency so that you can have it daily as well. Although most of the time you're going to want to do this on a monthly basis for sure. It creates a liability account called deferred revenue. So slight different name for the same liability account that we've been talking about. And then you set your service interval. You say, okay, I want um, this comes in monthly or it comes in annually. How often do I want to recognize it? And then you can also set the duration. So like, let's say I say that I'm going to take my one annual lump sum. I want to break it up into 12 monthly installments. And then what it will do is it will put the, every time that service is purchased, the entire amount of the purchase is going to go into deferred revenue. And then at the end of every month, I'm going to stick with this monthly 12 month thing just to not get it confused. At the end of every month, it'll take one twelfth of it and move that to income. And it all happens automatically behind the scenes. So I'm really liking the way that it works. So it's, it saves the, journal, the last journal entry adjustment, essentially, mm-hmm. um, or it saves creating that negative item in an invoice, or it saves doing that credit memo. So essentially, you all, all you really need to do is create the one invoice. And then when you set up the item, you tell it whatever frequency you want and how to recognize it. And it does all these things for you behind the scenes. Now, question, how does that look like on the statement? Does it change the statement or the statement just shows the annual payment and that's it? Well, the invoice itself just has the one lump sum payment. And I actually just import ours. I have my learning management system connected to Stripe which is connected to Cinder, which imports it. So whenever somebody signs up for a subscription, I don't even see it as revenue. It goes all straight to this deferred revenue liability account. And so this is one of those cases where looking at your reports, cash-based versus accrual-based really does matter. Because if I run my profit and loss cash-based, I'm going to see the full amount of the payment as revenue immediately. If I run my report accrual-based, then I only see the amount that has been recognized at the end of each of the months, and the rest of it is on the balance sheet with that balance. And so, you know, for those of you who haven't explored, there's a button up under the accountant's toolbox, the little briefcase up in the top that says reports options. 
And you can set your default, your report defaults. So you can have your reports run as accrual basis, even if you're cash basis, which is what I do. I'm reporting to the IRS as cash based, but I want to be able to see my annual subscribers and how much services I'm providing on a monthly basis. So I'll flip my reports back and forth to see how much money my company has made cash based and how much I have earned accrual based. Oh, that's really interesting. So if, if you were to use the manual method we spoke about earlier, that's always going to go to the liability account no matter what, then you have to recognize it. The manual method is always going to be an accrual principle. Whereas with QuickBooks Line Advance, from what I understand, is it will only revenue do the revenue recognition split if you show up at accrual base. Yes. But if you switch to cash basis, it will ignore all that and it'll assume that that item hits a revenue account. Which I love. Absolutely. Now, how, how does it know what revenue account to hit? Um, uh, that's well, also because... part of the products and service because the products and service okay. has already been mapped to an income account. This deferred revenue is a whole oh, separate activity underneath. Oh, okay. So when you, when you create uh, this def, uh, the revenue recognition item, you, you're going to map it to an income account and a liability account uh, mm -hmm. anyway. So it's going to use that income account that's being mapped to. Okay, exactly. so which which clients would this be a bad idea to try to use it for? Even if they use prepayments and customer deposits, even, you know, like, which would be a bad idea for? Like, I'm thinking about this lawyer, right, that does bespoke uh, retainer, right, where it takes a couple hours from a retainer here and there. So w w is there another type of client you could think of? Yeah, I mean, I would say anybody who is um, WIP-based, works-in-progress-based, where you want to recognize it you know, when the work that you're doing is not systematic, you know, the, mm -hmm. you're on a retainer and I'm going to use some of it now and some of it later, or, mm -hmm. um, you know, you want it. I don't think uh, it doesn't have quarterly yet in deferred revenue. So you'll have to wait, you know, wait until they build that in for that one. So right. if it's, if it's just regular automatic, that's when you would use the revenue recognition. If it is activity based, then this isn't the right tool. So you want to recognize it either monthly or daily, which are the two options that it gives you. Um, so whether you whether whether you receive the money now and perform the work somewhere in the middle of the year, or, or it doesn't really matter. If the contract states that uh, you're you're paying for a whole year's worth of service, and you want to spread that evenly and automatically through every month or every day. So your, your profit and loss kind of follows suit with your expenses using the matching principle and the revenue recognition principle. If a client's like that, that's perfect. But if you have to, if you, if, if there's external events like a particular activity or a completion of a project, and at that point in time, you're going to trigger the revenue recognition, right. and this is not good for that. Yeah. Now, something super, super critically important is that when you make your invoice or your sales receipt, you have to use your service date field. So you have to have service dates turned on, and you have to have a date in that service field. That's what it's using to recognize the period, the, the initial payment. So it's not the date of the invoice. I'm going to repeat that. The date of the invoice or sales receipt doesn't matter. What The only date that matters to initiate the process is the service date on the line item next to the service. So you have to turn it on to make it work. And, and, for, Cinder, and for Cinder, I've actually had to create rules to apply that. Like it wasn't part of the natural import. I had to actually manipulate my Cinder settings. Perfect.
So there you have it, Elizabeth. Hopefully we answered uh, your question, probably a much longer answer than you wanted. <laughs> but uh, but uh, that's, that's, that's our revenue recognition story. I've got one more thing to say about it. At the moment, there's no mechanism if somebody gets a refund on that service. At the moment, there is no way to turn off the revenue recognition component of it. You'll have to go into the liability account periodically and de manually delete the transactions, which is why I say it's still kind of in beta. But I know for a fact that they are working on that and that will be available soon. This episode of the unofficial QuickBooks Accountants Podcast is sponsored by OnPay. OnPay, with 30-plus years of payroll expertise, is your ideal payroll partner. With OnPay, you can run your client's payroll, delegate it to your team, or empower your clients to manage it themselves. In any case, OnPay handles all the tax payments and filings, even at the local level, at no extra cost. OnPay seamlessly integrates with QuickBooks Online and QuickBooks Desktop, offering you a payroll solution that fits your entire client base. Partnering with OnPay means you'll have access to dedicated partner support, account managers, and a direct support phone line. Their team of in-house payroll experts will do all the heavy lifting, from setting up your dashboard to adding your clients and their employees. They'll even enter any prior wages to make it easy to switch. Now, here's the exciting part. OnPay is offering an exclusive deal for accountants and bookkeepers. Enroll new clients by October 31st, 2023 to enjoy fee-free services until January 31st, 2024. That's potentially up to four months of free payroll services. To seize this incredible offer and to get up to four months of free payroll, head over to uqb.promo slash onpay. That's uqb.promo forward slash O-N-P-A-Y. Kind of in beta. That's, a, that's, a, that's an <laughs> overstatement. Yeah, I mean, these things happen sometimes. I mean, again, again we, we're making the assumption that people prepaid for the whole year and that's it. There's no cancellations or partial cancellations, that sort of thing. There's no mechanism to manage right. that. Right. Perfect. But yeah, we need it, absolutely. <laughs> so we have another question from Robin. Do you want to read that? Okay, sure. Alicia? Yeah, so um, another piece of listener mail from Robin. Um, I'm loving your new podcast. It's excellent. Well, thanks, Robin. Um, I have a question. What's with all of the default categories that QBO adds to the chart of accounts, like unrecognized expenses and uncategorized assets? No P&L or balance sheet should have these, so why can't I delete them? That's a great question. Um, and actually, I saw a related conversation on Facebook in one of the groups where somebody had taken their un uncategorized expenses report and like changed the name of it like to, no, 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 do not use this. And there was a big rousing debate afterwards, like 25% of the people totally agreed with them. And 25% were mad that they couldn't delete this account that they shouldn't be using. And the rest of the, us actually offered great reasons that you could use them. Um, but what no one talked about was the actual purpose of them. And when you see uncategorized expenses, uncategorized income, uncategorized assets in your chart of accounts, um, those are related to your banking feed. They're part of the mechanism for the banking feed. They're the default categories. If you forget to actually categorize the expense or transaction and you just click add, those are where they're going to show up 
And the idea is that now you can see where they are, because if it just happened to pick something random, if these categories didn't exist, it would be putting transactions anywhere and you might never find them. So if you see something in uncategorized expense or uncategorized asset or uncategorized income, you know that somebody wasn't paying attention and they were on autopilot. And then you can go in and actually categorize the transaction properly. I might have a different take on this. <laughs> so specifically on, on categorized assets, I want to specifically talk about on categorized assets. And I'm going to be with that 25% that's mad that they can't change or delete that <laughs> account. Because QuickBooks has a very quirky mechanism for sort of like undoing a transaction that was entered through the bank feed. And uh, many times people will take a legitimate expense, a legitimate expense type of transaction and categorize it as uncategorized asset because that's what QuickBooks suggested and hit okay or accept. Unfortunately, QuickBooks creates a transfer mm -hmm. transaction type. And the problem with transfer transaction types is that they don't contain a payee name and you can only use balance sheet accounts. So if you are an accountant correcting or trying to fix a problem with an uncategorized asset, there isn't a simple mechanism for you to say, okay, I got it. This is really an expense. Turn this magically into an expense. That's not a thing. So we would have to literally delete that transaction, go back into bank feeds and then, um, enter it again as an expense. And then you have to re-reconcile. <laughs> so there's a couple of problems with that. Problem number one, if for whatever reason somebody attached a document to that, you have to manually save that document and re-upload it to the new transaction you created. Problem number one. Problem number two, let's say we overlooked that uncategorized transfer, uh, uncategorized asset as a, as a transfer, the bank accounts were reconciled. Then when we delete the transaction and re-enter it, you got to go back and re-reconcile. So until... Intuit builds in a built-in mechanism for easily converting transfers to expenses, then I'm, I'm actually going to be 100% against uncategorized assets because of this specific, this transfer mechanism that we have in place. Uncategorized income and uncategorized expenses, I love those accounts. I have absolutely nothing, nothing wrong with them. And they actually also serve a higher purpose specifically when it comes to using the books review. Mm -hmm. So I know you use books review, Alicia. Yeah. Like how do you use books review and uncategorized expenses? Yeah. So the books review has a section for finding those uncategorized expenses. And in fact, you can ask your client what they are using the books review mechanism, which is really cool. So that way it sends a message to your client. They can tell you what it's for and you can give them the ability to update the category themselves or you can do it but I have a super really cool secret for making that work. One of the problems with uncategorized expenses is it doesn't actually show you the bank detail or who the payee was. And so if you wanted to bulk assign those uncategorized expenses, you would still have to click on each one and open it up and look at it. But if you, in your banking feed, go to the tiny little gear in the upper right corner, not of the whole screen, but just of the banking grid itself, there's an option to copy the banking detail to the memo of the transaction. And I, I want everybody to go in and just do that right now, that now your banking detail is in the memo of every transaction. So even if you have a restaurant and you were using the payee restaurant, you can still see who the restaurant is for in your reports. And when you're doing this thing with the books review and uncategorized expenses, it does show the memo. So if you have it turned on to put the banking detail in the memo, 
when you go to uncategorized expenses tool in books review to categorize them? You can. It's a pretty cool workaround. Now, as much as I like the uncategorized expense workflow in books review, one thing I don't like about it is uncategorized income doesn't show up mm -hmm. in there. So even though it says uncategorized transactions, it's only uncategorized expenses. And technically, you should be able to use the same mechanism for income. Well, so that's that part of this, like, I think it's a missed opportunity from Intuit. Well, uh, but think about how complex that would be, because if you have something in uncategorized income, it's one of two things. It's either a refund for an expense or it's income that did not match to your sales receipt and invoice workflows. So if you have something in uncategorized income, it's a guaranteed error. And so a refund, if it's a refund, it should always just be categorized right back to the original expense that it was for. And if you're using sales receipts and, and it, um, invoice payments, then you should go up to the plus new button and go look in bank deposit because there's probably a matching combination of transactions that equal that dollar amount. No, I'm, I'm with you there. But if the account exists in the chart of accounts and you can delete it, that means it serves a purpose. And if the higher purpose is to, to be able to recategorize them using the, uh, the books review, but they don't show up in books review, then I, I kind of have a challenge with, with, with the logic at the end. You yeah. know? So like I totally get it for uncategorized expenses. You can delete it because we're going to use books review for it. But if you can use books review for income, why can't we just disable uncategorized income? That's just my comment on that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I kind of agree. What it would be nice to see in the banking feed is that if it doesn't, if it's not actually categorized, then you can't add it. Like the, the add button is grayed out so that you can't just add things without actually reviewing them. So you would need some yeah. sort of, of logic there. That, that would be interesting. Uh, the, the challenge I see with that is, if you are telling your customer that in order to interact with them as their accountant, that they have to use a chart of accounts category, and um, it might make it harder for you to review the books, whereas if they don't know what it is, they just put it on their own categories, and you know for sure you're going to review those, unless you are in the business of, of auditing every single move your, your customer right. makes. Right. Uh, the uncategorized expenses could be an interesting mechanism for you to communicate with your customer. Hey, can you tell whatever you're sure about categorize here, whatever you're not so sure about categorize in, in the uncategorized. Yeah. And, and by doing that, you're helping create a communication structure with your client. And one of the things that I've noticed is that uh, some of the app developers are taking advantage of these categories. Like there's one called uncat and keeper both will look at these uncategorized categories for you and bring it to your attention if something is in them. And Uncat goes so far as to even give you a client portal to allow your clients to um, communicate with you about them, about those tools. Right. Keeper. No, Keeper does it as well. Mm -hmm. Keeper does it as well. Yeah. Actually, we use Keeper in our firm. And uh, what's really nice about this is yeah, the books review in QBO works, works okay. But what's nice about Keeper is that you have this sort of uh, prefixed questions you can ask. So you have a bunch of things under uncategorized expense. And instead of just asking your client, hey, this is uncategorized. What is this? You can give them hints. Like you can have sort of like pre-populated questions like, is this business or personal? Because asking someone, what is Starbucks? It'll make you look pretty stupid if they don't understand the context of the question. Right? So $17 in Starbucks, asking somebody, what is this? Customer's going to go, really? You don't it's know what coffee. Starbucks is? <laughs> where, where, where what you're really asking is, hey, is this related to the business or not? 
So, you know, issue like I, I, I never use OnCat, so I don't know how OnCat works in that category. And with books review, the problem that I have is you can ask these questions, but you have to type it each time. Where with, with Keeper, you can you have this sort of like preset bank of questions you can ask depending on the context of how you're interacting with your customer about figuring out this um, uncategorized expense. Mm -hmm. and that's so did we I, answer Robin's question? Uh, yep. I think we have given Robin the information that she needs to move forward. Now, we love getting these questions from the audience. So if you would like to submit a question, please email us at ask at uqapodcast.com. That's ask at uqapodcast.com. UQA, of course, stands for the unofficial QuickBooks Accountants podcast. So send in your questions and we'll address them in a future episode. Awesome. So Alicia, what's going on in your world? Well, I am about to release a new course that I have like practically not talked about at all. QuickBooks Desktop. Um, I, I published a book with Questiva Consultants that used to be used in colleges and high schools um, that was part of the Intuit Education program. And because Intuit Education stopped offering QuickBooks desktop um, subscriptions as or files as part of their program, we couldn't keep releasing the book. So Questiva handed it over to me. So I built a brand new QuickBooks desktop course that it has comes with a 600 page book or PDF and it's step by step to learn it. And I have videos of me actually teaching all of the work. So we're really excited. It's, it's ironic, but we are completely excited to be releasing a QuickBooks desktop course. And how about you, Hector? What's going on in your world? Well, we are very excited about QuickBooks Connect. We have a, a right tool party, really a, a meetup on Sunday before the event starts. We did a Eventbrite invitation uh, for up to 100 people. It quote unquote sold out. There was no price. <laughs> but, so we, we should have a full house of right tool users hanging out uh, pre QuickBooks Connect in, uh, in the Aria Hotel. So excited about that. And since we're talking about, uh, this is actually technically not new, but since we're talking about this uncategorized expense concepts, we, a couple of months ago, I would say like right before summer of 2023, we released a feature inside Right Tool Pro where we can ask chat GPT. So like if you're categorizing something and you're not 100% sure how to categorize it. And again, I'm not saying that chat GPT is better than an accountant, not in any way, shape or form. But sometimes you have this like random vendor name where you would have to do some deep Googling to try to figure out and decipher what it is. And sometimes by clicking Ask ChatGPT and only the payee information and the amount gets sent to ChatGPT with no other context about the business. And it asks, hey, what, what might this be? And then sometimes ChatGPT can have an interesting answer and help you categorize that. I'm all for sending our clients questions about, hey, what could this be? Help us out because it should be a collaborative approach. But in my experience with a bookkeeping firm, some customers get annoyed, you know, like they, in their mind, it's like, why am I paying this bookkeeping firm? If, you know, every month I get 25 questions, it feels like I'm doing the work, even though, you know, even though contextually, like they're the only ones that could tell us why they spend the money, but in their mind, they're paying for somebody else to take over that responsibility. So sometimes as a, as a bookkeeper, as a power user, I prefer to try to figure things out on my own or at least have a good best guess prior to asking uh, the customer. So that's why we created this uh, built-in feature to ask ChatGPT for expenses. Pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty handy. 
All right. I think we're good to go. Anything else to add for today? That's it. Thank you for tuning in. Send your listener mail and we might answer it at the unofficial QuickBooks Accountants Podcast. Bye, everybody. See you at the next one. This podcast is independently operated and is not affiliated with or endorsed by QuickBooks or Intuit, Inc. Any reference to Intuit and QuickBooks products are made solely for the purpose of discussing the topics related to the company and its software.